0: WMQA! Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. And Matt, I just got back from New York Comic Con and boy, are my legs killing me. Was it still a
1: terrifying
0: mass of humanity? Uh. It, it's it's crowded, yeah. <laughs> and
1: and and by the way, that is not a mass of
0: terrifying
1: humanity. The the mass is terrifying, not the humans themselves. I'm not taking a shot at anybody.
0: And by that, that's the size of the crowd, not the mass of individual humans. We are not. This is not. That is not. Man, all right. So we've already. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. I don't that. like crowds. So the whole idea of it, real scary. Yes, other people terrifying. Um, but yes, so. Uh, I was there on Friday, and uh, yeah, uh, definitely very, very busy, um, both, you know, in terms of crowd size and me just sort of being there, running all over the place like a chicken with my head cut off. Uh, I recorded uh, seven different interviews while I was there, some of which you'll hear this week, some of which I will save for later, Um, but uh, just to to give you kind of the the grand sampler platter, uh, I got to talk to... Uh, Jed McKay, who's writing Black Cat for Marvel Uh, Christoph Bogosh uh, Who's got a series coming out from Scout Comics Called Volume uh, Next year I got to talk to Christopher Cantwell and Martine Morazzo The team behind She Could Fly From uh, Karen Berger's imprint at Dark Horse Uh, Actor David Dasmalchian Who's been in uh, You've seen him in like The Dark Knight, Ant-Man, The Flash And all that
1: I hope he comes back in The Flash He was Abracadabra, who is one of my favorite Flash
0: villains (laughs) Um, It's also going to be in Suicide Squad, which just started filming. But uh, he's got a comic coming out uh, this month from Dark Horse called uh, Count Crowley Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, which is about a disgraced former TV reporter who gets stuck playing late-night horror host and discovers that monsters are, in fact, real. Um,
1: Looking forward to that.
0: Love me some urban fantasy. I I read an early copy of it. It's, It's a lot of fun. Um, who else? Uh, I talked to Gabby Dunn who wrote the uh, this journalism thriller called Bury the Lead over at Boom that came out last week. Uh, that was really good and I uh, got to talk a little bit uh, with Ed Brisson and Derek Charm. So, a uh, lot lot of, lot of people there. Uh, you know, I will say audio varying degrees of uh, <laughs> you know you, you, you get some of the the ambient noise and also I was experimenting on the fly with different things so there's that. <laughs>
1: It's a con. You get what you get.
0: It, it is what it is, man. I do, I do. Um, so, Christoph Bogosh, one of the reasons I was excited to talk to him is uh, he is, first of all, he's from Australia. You know, when do we ever get to have Australian guests unless we're recording at like, you know, some some ungodly hour. Uh, but uh, he is, he it is a way to sort of drum up his, his following, but uh, he's like, you know, if I get 1,500 followers... I, I, an Australian man, will go eat it out back. Uh, if I get 2,000 followers, every time somebody brings me a plate of food, I'm going to go, mm, just like me mum used to make down under. <laughs> if he made it to 2,500, he was going to chug a Foster's. I don't know if he got that far. But the, the, the I talked to him for a little bit about that. Uh, the sad thing is my, audio, my uh, recorder on my phone cut out like three minutes into the interview. Now the uh, responsible part of me is very happy because we spent those three minutes talking about his actual work in comics. But all the Outback stuff got, <laughs> got lost. But, uh, you know, I, I hope I, I hope to follow up with him later on to see if he did it or at least just sort of uh, check out Twitter uh, maybe after I get out of this call. Uh, he was going with like a small group of people including Vida Ayala. <laughs> nice. Fr- friend of the show. They are uh, the confirmed Confirmed. <laughs> They said it. No backseats. Yep. But uh, yeah. So that's it. And then um, also just sort of wandering around, looking for people who've been on the show in the past, like year and change, and saying hello. So you know, I got to say hi to Erica Schultz, Anthony Marquis, Jeff Rugby, Gavin Smith, Kristen Goodsnuck, Leanna Kangas, uh, Zach Quaintance from uh, Comics Bookcase and the Beat. Uh, and I, I I had a lovely dinner with recent guest friend of the site uh, about to launch his uh, Kickstarter, uh, Adam Reck, and uh, Chris Hassan who does the X Men Monday column for A I P T. So that was a the fun little con- kind of conversation among you know uh, X Men Twitter uh, so to speak. So it was a very it was a very social day.
1: Better you than me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, you know, one thing I'll, I will will say, though, in terms of actual news out of NYCC, like, you and I recorded an entire episode after San Diego, like, there's too much, or, like, our minds were blown. I didn't get that same feeling this time around.
1: No, it was a bunch of little announcements. And yeah. nothing, there wasn't, like, a big line-wide, like, let me drown you in information. And, I mean, we might be a little spoiled with that from San Diego. It seems like one or the other con gets that each year. Because I remember, I th- might have been last year or the year before, where I remember San Diego being really, like, New York being the one that was slammed with the news. Interesting.
0: In fact, even, like, C2E2 was big this year. If you remember, C2E2 is where they announced Hoxpox.
1: Yes, you are correct.
0: Yeah, so, just interesting. I mean, a lot, yeah, a lot of little stuff, and, and, you know, some things very kind of happy for different people, but, um, you know, I, I just, like, I remember waiting with bated breath at San Diego for, like, all the Dawn of X books to be announced, and, and you know, feeling like a kid at Christmas, like, you know, New Mutants, <laughs> and Excalibur, and, and what's this book where Kitty's a pirate? You yeah, um, It's it's probably like ridiculously too early to talk wave two, uh, but you know we're 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 getting the sort of long predicted Wolverine solo title from Ben Percy and Adam Kubert. So I mean it's something. Uh, it's probably like the safest announcement Marvel has made all year of an X Men title. Oh yeah. You know, given Percy's already been writing Wolverine on on the the Stitcher podcast and Adam Kubert, you know. I, his work is uh, is probably synonymous with Wolverine uh, you know for all he drew him in the 90s I mean
1: he, he he drew that great issue with the where Wolverine fights Sabretooth where the pages turn the issue right before uh, Age of Apocalypse it's a great issue
0: oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's when he pops him right through the the, the old noggin there yep um yeah, so, I, you know, I get, we wait a little bit longer for, you know, the, the promised uh, Vita, Leo, Leo Williams books, but... Uh, I'm
1: curious to see if we're going to see the first wave go to monthly when the second wave is announced, because could you imagine if we're going to have... Right now, six books bi-weekly. We're getting 12 issues of X-Books a, a month. If the... Second wave is month, even monthly, and the first wave continues at a biweekly pace. We could be seeing twenty X books in a month, and that's
0: that might. That's be, not a wave. That's a tsunami. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that might be a record, and that's saying
0: something. drowning in mutants. Right,
1: and that's saying something from a guy who has I mean, bat books can get pretty out of hand. But I don't think I've ever hit twenty.
0: Um, I don't I don't I, I think we're gonna see a lot of rotation. Yeah. So I you know, I don't think the, the six series that we're starting out with are all going to keep going. There may be you know, maybe there's creative team changes within the books themselves, you know, we lose Excalibur and get, I don't know, X Factor mm. you know, or, or something else. Am um, I-13? You know, it, it probably it depends on sales. It depends on, you know, uh, creative teams and availability. And, you know, it, it's probably a, a whole bunch of stuff. But, yeah. you know, by the same token, we should probably let this first, you know, pass actually, like, exist and breathe in the world and at least fill out, like, a trade. Yes. Before we start, you know, flooding the market with more stuff. Um. So yeah, pa- patience, which I'm basically just telling myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the other thing that kind of set off, uh, you know, the other piece, piece of X-Men news was uh, one of the panels, C.B. Savolsky, said that Chris Claremont will be writing more stuff. You know, which I, last, last week in my X-Men X-Man of the Week column, I, I wrote that the uh, New Mutants War Children one-shot was the least offensive thing he'd done in the past couple of years. Which was, you know, that's that's where the bar is now. And I think most of that was Sienkiewicz, to be quite honest.
1: Yeah, no, the, the Sienkiewicz art was Sienkiewicz at his Sienkiewicziest. I don't know if I phrased that properly, but you know what I
0: mean. Yeah, no, I, I get it. It was so it was so good. Yeah. but um,
1: When you've got Warlock you know, and Limbo and Magic at her most demonic, that's Sienkiewicz. That's one right across the
0: plate. Oh, yeah. One hundred. Um, you know, I know Marvel's been on a nostalgia kick. You know, it's it's their 80th year and everything. So we're getting this inordinate amount of like Claremont and Peter David and Louise Simonson and and Rob Liefeld and, and all that stuff. You know, I just I think the thing with Claremont and it, you know, it's not like we're just realizing this now, but you know, he has a very dated idea of what the X Men should be, and he's very critical slash just avoidant of, of whatever is happening in the books now when you talk to him. So, you know, I, I, I'm happier to let his body of work speak for itself than to let him speak for, you know, speak for it at this point. Mm. Plus, I can't picture him and Hickman getting along
1: at all. Ooh, that that would be... Yeah. Yeah,
0: no. That That is two egos. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's two guys with big visions for long-term things, and those visions don't line up.
0: No. No. (laughs) You know, I mean, a fun thing at a con is to go to Chris Claremont and and ask him (laughs) if he knows what's going on in the X-Books now and sort of just catch him up, you know. Can you imagine going up to him and being like, yeah, and they brought all the dead ones back, and there may have been an orgy, and...
1: Uh... <laughs> oh, and I, I can actually hear Claremont, you know, be like, if that, you know, if the code had let me, I would have had that orgy back in the day.
0: Yeah, you know, he would have. Oh, absolutely. He totes would have. <laughs> uh, but, you know, otherwise... Uh... Lots of other stuff, you know, Al Ewing's taking over Guardians of the Galaxy, you got Donny Cates is coming on Thor, uh, new volume of Star Wars, it's going to be set between Empire and Return of the Jedi, uh, G. Willow Wilson's taking over the Dreaming on the, uh, in the old uh, Sandman universe there um what what stood out to you from from the weekend Uh,
1: well the G Willow announcement was big I mean I'm I'm enjoying the Sandman universe books but I think Mm -hmm. G Willow also doing something with Shakespeare and the Sandman universe is very exciting because that's you know as I've always been that's two of my favorite tastes that taste great together um I mean DC was real light on the announcements outside of that um that uh the other one that was exciting was uh, Stuart Emmann being the penciler on Joe Hill's new book, Plunge.
0: Yeah. For Hill
1: House, that's that's real exciting.
0: Uh, That's another one that came out of retirement, too. Yeah. Uh, He's pulling a Jay Z there. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and it's not technically comic news, but it did come out of the con uh, that Timothy Zahn has a new trilogy of Thrawn novels starting next year An Origin of Thrawn, mm-hmm. set in the unknown re- regions with his people, the Chist Ascendancy, which is fascinating because that stuff's always been sort of hidden and I'm mm-hmm. real excited to see where he goes with that. Uh, and, I mean, two bits of news that were announced sort of concurrent to the con, but were, you know, press announcements technically. Um, mm-hmm. Rachel Maddow being a recurring on um, Batwoman as Vesper Fairchild, who's a name that long-term Batman fans would know and nobody else would. Um, but it was an interesting choice there and the uh official confirmation on the new season of steven universe and the new uh the new title of the show which will be steven universe future and the opening uh crawl for it or the opening credits so i mean those are all things that i'm i'm digging and those came out i think in the la times or the hollywood reporter right around Mm -hmm. you know the day before they would have been mentioned at a panel
0: Right, you, so, I don't, so I don't get lost in the uh, in the shuffle there.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Matto actually was in her voice because it's just going to be a voice because Vesper Ch- Vesper is uh, a radio host, the voice of Gotham. Uh, so it, she did appear, quote unquote, in the pilot which aired yesterday, and that. Oh. Yeah, it's it's just going to be you know I mean, Vesper is one of Bruce Wayne's exes, who was mm-hmm. the uh, the the titular. Murder victim in the Bruce Wayne murderer, Bruce Wayne fugitive 2000, 2001, I believe, crossovers, either 1001 or 0102. It was uh, mm-hmm. the the uh, sort of end of the Rooka Brubaker era on those books. Okay. And yeah, so she was. She, she first appeared actually right before No Man's Land, disappeared, you know, got out. During No Man's Land, and then popped back after. But she was a cool character, and I think it was kind of neat to get Maddow, who was a an avowed Batwoman fan, to voice the to be the voice on the radio for the show.
0: I did. I did not know that she was a big Batwoman fan. Yeah, she
1: wrote the introduction to the first uh, Rooka trade, I believe.
0: Oh, for uh, for elegy.
1: Yeah, I believe it was either elegy or it was one of the Rooka trades. I'm ninety nine percent sure. Oh, huh. yeah, cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, so, but uh, the one thing I was dying to ask you about: what did you think of the uh, Picard trailer? Oh,
1: yeah! CBS All Access has me. It, 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 <laughs> it, they got me. I, I mean, I, I was already sorely tempted, and now we're getting Riker and Troy, and the, the hints of what's going on with the Borg and Kickass, either Vulcan or Romulan warriors. It's like, oh, this looks really cool. I, and I've been digging Discovery. But it's like, oh, it's Sean Luke. I-, I-, I can't. Uh, <laughs> I-, I just, I-, I can't resist it anymore.
0: Have you, uh, have you talked to Rob at all since the, tra- the, uh, the trailer came out? No, not yet. <laughs> I-, I gotta, gotta see. Yeah. Um. All right, well, that, that, is, that is that is a lot of stuff. I don't want to get too far into the weeds here. Uh, we still have plenty of interviews to get to, so uh, let's get to that. I believe we are starting off with uh, Christopher Cantwell and Martine Morazzo talking about uh, all of their sort of collective and individual uh, projects. Uh, so I'll start with my kind of typical icebreaker question. Uh, you know, what, what comics do you guys remember reading when you first got into the medium? When
2: we were kids? Were you younger?
0: Uh, well, yeah, uh, well, as, early, as far back as you can remember, yeah.
2: Oh, probably like Rob Liefeld's X-Force. Uh, like that first, like that Jim Lee reboot of X-Men. Um, Marvel Tales, where they would do like the one-shot stories. Sure, yeah. That's a big Marvel guy. Yeah, I, I, but then as I got into it, I'd read more like, uh, I was huge into Jeff Smith's Bone. Uh, Loved that, and then I read The Mask, which really messed me up, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, it was it was like a good middle school like deep dive to comics. But that was around like mid nineties. Okay. Yeah. Whatever was on the shelf. Yeah. Like the Spider Clone Saga. Mm-hmm. Like
0: I read that,
3: and I was like, all right, time for
0: high school. On second thought, let's not read Spider Man.
3: <laughs> uh, Martin, uh, how about you? And I read uh, like the X Men when he was working with both me. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Beer's stuff of the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and probably I, I read some old uh, Western comics from the US, like Red Reader, Red Rider. Yeah. Do you remember those, those ones? Well, sure. um, my dad used to uh, collect comics when he was a teenager, so I had all his stuff. Yeah. He, he made them, the, the floppies, into books. Mm. And uh, so I have a, a ton of those, and, and I read those more classical stories. Also, some. Hugo Pratt, and some European stuff from the 50s too, and yeah, I remember his books. From the US, uh, yeah, the X-Men, and later, I don't know, like the X-Men from the 90s. And, oh. Yeah,
0: a lot of, that was a lot of people's gateway drug. <laughs> okay. uh, so, I feel like we're, we're kind of hitting uh, peak Cantwell this month, you know, you've got everything out. Uh, you got The Mask in a couple of weeks, Doctor Doom. Uh, you got a movie out this weekend. It's uh, out today. Out today, yeah. yeah. Uh, parts You Lose. Uh, are you getting enough sleep right now?
2: Yeah, I'm okay. I, you know, it's not crazy. I mean, because the movie's already done, mm-hmm. the comic's are already written. Like, you gotta just hang out. Like, That's it's nice. It's just like, come here, hang out with Martine, mm-hmm. Anthony, <laughs> the Dark Horse crew. Uh, yeah, it's nothing. I, I, I'm actually about to maybe start a, another job. That will affect my sleep, but this, okay. all this other stuff is like just watching it you know, write, not
3: hit the shelves. He writes really fast. When, when, <laughs> when we said we are going to do a second series of She Could Fly, yeah. he said, okay, you come now. Uh, Scripts are issue two, three, four, and five. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I got a bit
2: fast. Yeah, I tried to, <laughs> nice. to write quickly.
0: Artists always appreciate that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes. So.
0: And the colorist and the letterer. <laughs> Oh man, uh, yeah, Martin. Uh, you, you've done two volumes of She Could Fly in the yes. past year. Uh, roughly the same time you're working on Ice Cream Man with yes. uh, Maxwell Prince. How are how are you balancing the two? You know, are you working on them at different times, at the same time?
3: Oh, I try to uh, like uh, uh, you know put them in steps. Like I, I do, I, I work on She Could Fly on one issue, probably pencils, then do something on Ice Cream Man. Then I try to to, to move deadlines to. To be able to do everything, it's not like I do two books in a month. You know? sure. it's like a, I don't know, like two books in a month and a half, or so. Okay. So, there were some parts that uh, that I was kind of uh, a bit in a in a hurry, but I I, I could do it. Okay, I survived. So. <laughs> uh, mo- mostly when we were finishing arts or ice cream man, because the, the first issues are always more relaxed in terms of the time I had to to deliver the work. Because uh, we take a couple of months off, sure. So then I could uh, like uh, put everything together and do it. Okay, but everyone was uh, like uh, really kind and nobody was pushing me too hard to deliver. <laughs> so I, I did it okay.
0: That's good. That's good. Uh, one of uh, writers for our site, Will Nevin, he's a big ice cream man devotee. Uh, I especially love the the palindrome issue. I think it was number yes. thirteen. Yes. Uh, how much of a challenge was it working backwards and forwards like that, or did the story mapping kind of cut your work in half?
3: Oh, it was really, really hard harder than I thought, because uh, you know when you're drawing, you're you're trying to uh, make action, make a movement, or and you you don't have a movement, right? So you have to. to transmit that sure. in the drawing, and, uh, and here I had, to, I had to avoid that, you know, because the guy was going to go to one side, and, and if you read it backwards, mm-hmm. he has to go to the other side, so he will read okay if you started on page one and finish on page 26, mm-hmm. but not if you started on 26, which, which was a thing I proposed to the writer, and uh, I think he, he kind of, Got a little, a little crazy about it, and we finally made it. So, uh, but uh, it, it was hard. But I think we mostly put it off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, Chris, as somebody who's done, you know, comics, TV, movies, you know, what is one way that writing for comics scratches an itch that you don't get from, you know, the other two? Uh, In
2: comics, there's no, uh, pattern budget for the show. Sure. You we know, get just do <laughs> crazy stuff. Uh, but then also, I think what I like is it, it's such a distillation of the drama down to singular frames, right? To single panels, and so it you're able to tell a complete story with just one moment. So if you were to take a movie and pull a single frame out from one scene, it's like, what is the most important frame from that scene? I, I really enjoy finding that with the artists, obviously, where you can, you can find that tableau and live in it. Um, have it kind of almost be frozen in time, but there's like a fluidity to it, just like a film or a TV show when you read through
0: the issue. It's got its own sort of cinematography to it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, So one of the books you've got coming out this month is uh, The Mask, The of Allegiance to The Mask. Uh, What is something people should know about the character who may only be familiar with him from like the Jim Carrey movie from 25 years Uh,
2: ago? I think the character, the character who's real name is, is Big Head in the comic book, right? So Big Head is usually the worst and most manic and anarchic, anarchic manifestation of whoever's wearing the mask. And it always draws out, eventually, their worst qualities to the point where the mask is in control. So Big Head is always this kind of grotesque uh, exaggeration of someone's personality that also reveals their true colors. Um, in the Jim Carrey movie, he's more like a superhero. But I think in the comic books, what's interesting is it depends on who wears the mask. Like somebody puts on the mask and they just end up being a serial killer. Somebody else puts on the mask and ends up being a vigilante. Um, in this comic, somebody puts on the mask and their ambitions immediately get the better of them, and they're just power hungry, right? So it's it's uh, it's basically like the worst version that somebody could be. It's almost like their true self, also with almost absolute power. Um, so it's quite scary, I would say.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, Tell us a little bit about the part you lose. The,
2: oh, yeah, the yeah. movie. Um, it's 93 minutes. Uh, it's, uh, it stars Aaron Paul, Scoot McNary, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and then uh, a really wonderful kid named Danny Murphy. It's his first movie Uh, who's a deaf actor. Uh, The movie is about a young deaf boy living in rural North Dakota um, on his family's kind of defunct farm, and he finds a wounded criminal on a frozen river near his house. He ends up dragging that criminal back to the family's abandoned barn and nursing the criminal back to health. Uh, They kind of develop this unlikely connection, but at the same time this guy is wanted and perhaps a murderer, dangerous himself, so the kid is kind of caught between these two worlds, um,
0: and what I think is like kind of a kind of contained, beautiful little thriller. W-N-Q-A. Next up, we talk with Gabby Dunn, uh, who just put out her first graphic novel, uh, "Bury the Lead." It's a uh, journalism thriller through Boom Studios. How's your
4: con going? All right. How about How about you? Is this your first time? It's my New York? first one. Yeah, it's my
0: first one. How is the uh, how's the
2: experience treating you?
4: Um, it's good. It's like a, it's a little bit overwhelming, but I mean, this is like a, extremely my shit. All this stuff, so I don't know why I've never been to one before, other than social anxiety, probably.
0: What is your what is your uh, <laughs> comics backstory?
4: I mean, I was like huge Archie comics fan when I was a, a little kid. Mm-hmm. So huge into it, and then. Um, and then I kind of like fell off, but I had like all of them. And then my mom made us donate them to the library, like to be good people or something. <laughs> Rude. Um, and then when I was in college, I got really into um, like, uh, I had a bunch of friends who were very into Warren Ellis. Okay. So I read yep. like all of trans Metropolitan And you know, Barry the Lead is about a journalist. Yep. And I was a journalist, a major. So I was like obsessed with it. Because I was just like, this is a journalist guy. And he's kind of like Hunter S. Thompson. And so I was just like super, super into that. Um, then I like went through, I mean, I read like by the Last Man and I read, you know, and then like in the last couple of years I, I read like Saga and like tried to keep up with like the stuff that is just like huge. Yeah. But I wasn't like digging into the other stuff. And then I started um, hanging out with a, a woman who works at Boom and, um, and she works on Lumberjanes and so then I read Lumberjanes and I loved it. And then that's how I like got connected to Boom really. But other, but then like mostly with like superhero stuff. Um, when I was younger and Smallville came out on uh, okay. WB, yeah. then I went back and was like obsessed with all the Superman stuff. And now like very much movie wise, like the, the I like all the Marvel films and stuff. Which is like I know it's it seems daunting to go back and like read all the things, but I had read Civil War before Civil War came out, mm-hmm. um, and then like now am in like a very big Spider-Man face, uh, so it kind of like jumps all over, it comes in and out of my life and like jumps all over the place basically, but I felt like, I felt like it was like uh, like some sort of wizardry to do, so like when they were like, you could write a comic, I was like, no I can't draw, like I had that misunderstanding, and then they were like, the writer doesn't have to draw it, and I was like, what?
0: <laughs> Sold.
4: <laughs> I know, I had no idea, I thought, I had this mistaken idea because I had never peeked behind the curtain. So I thought that like you drew it and you wrote it or that it was some sort of like untouchable industry where I was just like well I don't even know how to get get in there there." but like you just you can just do it (laughs) but I just didn't I just didn't know it seems so I mean looking around here right it just seems so like massive and like there's so many um, companies and it's like how do you even how do you even start how do you even break in as, like, a creator. Sure. So, I thought it was just untouchable until someone was like, you want to write a comic? And I was like, if you tell me how! (laughs) You know? Then they were like, it's a screenplay, just different. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And the collaboration part. So, like, I don't have to do it. So, like, we got, like, Claire Rowe, who's an incredible artist, and Mikel Muerto who's an incredible colorist, and I didn't even know that those were two different jobs. And then they were, and then, like, this idea comes together, and, and it's just, like, this thing where like the editor, Daphne Plebman works on it and it's just like everybody's stuff comes together to make the final product. I thought it would just, I would have to do everything and I was like, I don't know how to teach that. So it's nice. It's like really, really collaborative medium, which I didn't
0: know. I mean, had the actual experience itself, how did you, you know, enjoy that kind of working, you know, corresponding with all these people you've you know, never met who are now like drawing your baby? I
4: know. I've still never met Claire and Mikkel. Mikkel's in Mexico and Claire's in Scotland. So right. I've never met them. Um, I, I thought it was cool because I, I did my part. I like when like you do your part like and then you turn it in and then someone else interprets it so I, I just gave to Claire and then Claire sent pages and it was like you know you give like tweaks or you go actually here's what this person should look like or like actually this character is, is this hair color or whatever. Um, but it, it is I'm not like a person that's very like, precious okay' like I'm not like it has to be like this. Like I you know, whatever Claire would interpret it as, if she drew it away that I felt was better than what I had envisioned, right. great. Let her keep it. Like I felt like it was very um, cool to be like, Okay, what's your experience where are you coming from? Who are you and what does this look like to you? Even because drawing the city of Boston, Claire's the Scotland? Claire's never been to Boston. So how did she, she was able to just capture it from Googling Boston and looking at pictures of Boston and drawing Boston. Um, and I didn't even have to give her, I mean, I spent four years of my life there, but I didn't really have to say, the streets look like this or, you know, the buildings look like this. She just did the research and knew. So, I mean, I I don't think of it as like, this is my baby and she has to do what I say and i never really like even as a screenwriter you give it to a director the director interprets it how they want to interpret it it's like uh i always felt like it it becomes their baby at this point too sure which is um like really nice because sometimes you don't think of something and someone else thinks of it or you like oh i thought it would look this way but the way that you thought of it is better oh my gosh
0: that's always nice when it works out like yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, um So, yeah, Bury the Lead, it's about a, a uh, young journalist at a Boston newspaper who kind of gets roped into this big, you know, high society murder scandal, uh, you know, uh, based in part on your early experiences working at the Boston Globe.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: from from one newspaper journalist to another, how did you get out?
4: <laughs> I, I, I wrote a, a television pilot and that's how I got out. I was working as a reporter and um, um, and I had a, bl- a journalism blog uh, and I started, I just had like a, a I never did any school for screenwriting. I got a bunch of books on, basically I got a bunch of books on TV writing. I read them. I made like notes, uh, I watched a bunch of TV shows and I made notes on like, okay, the, this is where the ad break happens, this is where the jokes are, and like I just kind of studied. Truthfully, I know people have their mixed feelings about it, but I, truthfully, the show that I was studying for pacing was Big Bang Theory. So, I watched a bunch of episodes of Big Bang Theory and I like studied where the jokes were and the pacing and and where the commercials were and all that kind of stuff. And I had these like notebooks that looked like serial killer notebooks where I would write like (laughs) all the characters' names and like how many jokes they got in each episode and how many like really whatever. And so I, because I didn't go to school for it. So, I like broke all of this down. And then from that, I wrote um, a pilot of like an original, uh, just uh, uh, an original pilot idea. for a tv show that isn't good and wouldn't be made but on my journalism blog i said hey does anybody who reads this uh have any experience in television if i send you my screenplay or you know if i send you my tv pilot that i wrote will you say if it's good or not and two people that were reading it uh one worked at nickelodeon and one worked at gersh agency which is like a, a, a you know like a film and tv and lit agency and so i sent them the script and the guy at Gersh ended up being my first agent, and the guy Nickelodeon hired me for a kids show like four years later. So I just kind of start. I just kind of taught myself, and then started doing show business stuff. And then it, and then from getting that guy, the agent at Gersh, I just moved to LA, and then kind of completely pivoted. And I still write. Like I still do like journalism stuff, but I was like hardcore like. I'm a newspaper reporter I'm a crime reporter but slowly like my last year of journalism school we had a class and the class was just like Twitter question mark like that was the, like Twitter had just started it was 2009 okay and so everyone was like uh so there's no jobs everything's bad because so I started applying to journalism jobs and I
2: wasn't getting anything I went to J school in 2004 to 6 still that way
4: yeah there was no you could not get a job so I was applying to all these things. the The first job I got out of school, and I had worked like I mean, I had like so many clips, and I had been on the front page of the globe, and, like all this stuff that I thought was like advantages. And I and I and I applied to journalism jobs. And the only the first job that I got out of college, it took like eight months for me to get, and it was at AOL. Okay. Which is like I in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna be working for like the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be working for like you know, the the Houston Chronicle, like these newspapers. Yeah. And I could not get hired. So that was making me very disillusioned. And then around that time while I was working at at um, blogs I is when I wrote my screenplay or script and then moved out to LA like a few years later and sort of pivoted into entertainment. What was cool is I feel like I got to use that journalism experience to put into fiction, so like I got to use my actual real world. Like my dad is always like, "You used your degree," because I because I got to write about, which is nice, right? Because then they go. I think a lot of people, and not to like rag on those people, but I think a lot of people go to screenwriting school, come out of screenwriting school, and then write about people in LA who are actors and screenwriters. And I had the benefit of having the ability to write these scripts but having a background somewhere else like I always like when it's like a creator or something who like worked as a lawyer or a doctor for years and then became like a and then wrote a script about doctors like because then it's like okay you have this other thing that you can draw from so that's why I liked doing very the leap I got to make use of this whole other life that I used to live by being like okay I also can speak to this with authenticity and put it in a script
0: what um. You know, obviously, it's it's also a uh, Lee is also in war. Uh, you know, as much as it's about journalism, it's all, it's also kind of a, a, a classic noir story. Um, you know, are there certain kind of examples of of that either you know movies, novels, whatever that you know kind of influenced it?
4: Uh, Dennis Lehane, mm-hmm. he did Mr. River, and um, I used to read him religiously when I lived in Boston. And I and I got I met him one time. He signed my book. No big deal. But I uh, just read all of his crime books when I lived in Boston because he's a crime writer who writes about Boston. And then, you know, uh, the first year that I was living in Boston in 2006, The Departed came out. And I was just like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think I was just so in love with. Um, I think I was so in love with Boston. And then that movie came out and I was like, just it was, just felt magical even though it's like, you know, about like terrible police corruption and the mob and everything, but um, all of those movies, like, you know, the Mr. River film, and The Town, and Gone Baby Gone, and like all that kind of stuff, and I love that stuff, but it's so um, white male driven. Sure. It's very straight, it's very white, it's very male, and so with Barry the Lead, I wanted to do that genre, like I wanted to take a Dennis Lehane or a Ben Affleck film, and um Flip it where all the the main characters are female. They're women of color. Mostly every character is queer in some way, uh, and and just fill out that sort of world that I read about and that I love and that is like kind of become a cliche or stereotype, you know, so well, especially with Boston, sure. um, and fill it with like the other people. But I I yeah I I was very very deep in into Boston as a crime city. I had like a. I had a a paper that I had to write my freshman year of college because I was like a scholarship student and they made you write like a 40 page paper that you had to turn in at the end of the year to be like justify your place there. Uh, And you could pick any topic. And I had no, like I had no previous knowledge of this. I just like decided that I was going to write about uh, like Whitey (laughs) Bulger. And so I turned in like a 40 page paper about Whitey Bulger at the end of my freshman year. For no reason, <laughs> for no one, like Dunsies. yeah, just because I wanted to read about him, uh, and and so I read like all these huge books about him and stuff uh, to finish this paper. So, like, in it and it was just because I moved to Boston and fell in love with the, the how crazy that city is. So there's a lot of good examples, but not a lot of good examples with female leads or queer leads or people of color leads, and so that's what I wanted to. Flip this genre that I'm so familiar
0: with. Given this is your first New York, obviously, you know you're doing you're doing promotion for Barry the Lead, you're doing signings and stuff. What's something that you want to do while you're here that's just for you? Oh my God, well,
4: the person I'm dating lives here, so I always uh, I, I'm back and forth a little bit. Sure. Um, here at Comic Con, I was wandering around looking at all the costumes yeah and just i it's like you're, i know it's like you have i think you should ask right you can't just creep shot
2: people
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like everyone i'm just like in all of it i'm also like i can't i wandered around and looked at like a bunch of the marvel stuff yeah. i went and looked at some spider-man things um but it, i it's just like the people in the outfits here's my question sometimes sure. i see people dressed up in something that's like not a recent pop culture reference. Okay. And I'm like, why now? You know what I mean? But I think it's just like amazing because it just shows you like maybe they just discovered it. Maybe they just fell in love with it. Maybe they like have been waiting for the perfect time to do this costume that they know they're going to be perfect at. Whatever it is, like it's such a, a personal and like weirdly vulnerable like expression that I just am like, I love it. I'm like, this means a lot to you. Wow
0: i got that feeling today i was up on the fourth floor which i guess is like cosplay central oh okay and uh there were two guys dressed as the guys from good burger
4: yes and you're like why and then you're like you know what no reason why not yeah respect (laughs) i had on halloween and i love halloween i dress up like to the nines like every year and i dressed last year my costume i did um amulet holdo from star wars nice okay so i did that and my
0: wig or p- dye your hair?
4: No wig, and my I have a little dog, a little Chihuahua, and I dressed him as BB-8. So I, he had a little BB-8 hat and a little BB-8 body.
2: I, I am gonna ask you after this like Oh so I, I can yeah, see I have picture. pictures. Okay. It's so
4: cute. Um, and my girlfriend at the time was Poe. But so so we so then I went to a gay Halloween party. and It was a bunch of gay guys, and they had no idea who the character was. But they were like, "You're Laura Dern. We love Laura Dern." <laughs> 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 I was like, "I am I am Laura Dern."
0: I I used to do a a pop culture podcast with somebody that I uh, worked with, and one of our catchphrases for some reason, once an episode, we would bring up Laura Dern.
4: She's incredible. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing. Like, the catchphrase was, the Dernissance is real.
4: Yes. My friend made, uh, uh, for Star Wars, my friend had custom shirts made that said, feel the Dern. And then Laura Dern saw those shirts on Instagram and then asked if she could have one. And then my friend sent them to her and then there's a picture of her and Reese Witherspoon wearing Field of Dern shirts and I was like, I've never been more jealous of anyone in my life.
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. That is amazing.
4: I know. <laughs> it's really good. Um,
0: yeah. I did. I, I always like to ask creators about their pets, uh, especially when they have dogs because I'm a dog person. Yeah. Please tell me more about your dog.
4: Thank you so much. His name is Beans. He's a very fat chihuahua. So he, wow. we got him that way. He is a uh, a 15-pound Black Chihuahua. He looks like a bean. I didn't name him. He came with that name. Okay. Um, he is so cute and so like just a love. Like, just like wants to cuddle you, wants to be near you, loves you so much. Like, will come in the bathroom just to, like watch you pee. Like, just wants to be with you. Um, very, very, very sweet. I've never had a dog, like, I've always wanted a dog that like we didn't need to have on leash that would okay. just like. Like you know Toddle along behind you Sure And be like obsessed with you And that's what I have And I also am like He's so Like people The reaction to him Being a fat chihuahua Is so Like people are just like Oh like He's so fat And I'm like I know <laughs> they're like Oh my god He's so like He's just a little circle And I'm like Yeah he is He loves people So anyone who comes in Like don't try to rob me because he'll just be like, "Are you my friend?" Like he will. <laughs> I, I guess do rob me because he's not going to guard the house. Just be like, "Oh, are you here to do belly rubs, person in a mask? Cool."
0: That's that's my younger dog. I have two miniature dachshunds. Oh, nice! And the 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 old one, uh, she's ten, is is very barky, and then the younger oh, one, one who's five, is is just have, like, pudgy dog and, dog. and also just very demanding of love and also can't keep her tongue in. Her mouth. Sorry.
4: Yeah, Beans will never, um, Beans, Beans has never barked, will never bark, like he's he's kind of like a little potato. Like I'm always just like, you're a potato with legs, huh? Like, and I got him, and they, they're they very gentle at the place where I got him, which is called Wags and Walks, which is a wonderful dog rescue. And they, they, like I met him, and they were like, so as you can see, he'll never jump, because he's like so slow to the ground and his little belly touches the ground. And I was like, you can just say he's a big boy. <laughs> I understand he's never going to jump. It's very sweet. That's awesome.
0: Uh, any other uh, projects out there right now that uh, you want to make sure you get out there?
4: Uh, sure. I have a, a book called Bad With Money that came out in January. Um, and then I also have a fiction, a fiction book, two fiction books that my my collaborator, Alison Raskin and I, wrote together called I Hate Everyone But You. And then the sequel came out in July. It's called Please Send Help. Um, and then I also have a podcast called Bad With Money, which is a finance show, but it's not its not that serious, uh, and it is uh, very social justice-leaning. And then the book is like the companion to the podcast. And then um, Just Between Us, which is the podcast that me and the girl who did the YA books together, the fiction books, uh, we do a podcast together called Just Between Us.
2: Awesome. Gabby, thank you so much oh, for your time.
4: Oh,
2: thank you for
0: having me. WNQA Next on the docket, we've got uh, actor and uh, newfound comic writer uh, David Desmulshin. Uh You probably know David as uh, Kurt in the Ant-Man movies, or maybe you remember him from The, uh, the Dark Knight, or you saw him on The Flash. But uh, he's got a comic coming out now called, uh, or later this month, I should say, called uh, Camp Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, and he'll explain what that's about. Um, I should tell you, though, uh, as I was interviewing David, he was in like full costume. So the the, the premise of of Count Crowley is about this uh, late night horror movie host, kind of you know, regional TV network type thing. So he came to New York dressed up in like a cape and like Dracula makeup, and uh, so that's how that's how he was doing his press and, and uh, signings at the Dark Horse booth. But uh, let's 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 go ahead and listen to that. All right, so uh, you're here at the uh, Dark Horse booth promoting Count Crowley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about the series.
5: So Count Crowley is the story of Jerry Bartman, who wants to be a legitimate news anchor person. All of her life, she's dreamed of being a hard-hitting investigative journalist. She got her big break. She went to the big city in Cleveland. And while she was working on a network affiliate news show, she was assaulted by the star reporter on that, uh, on that show. And when she went to report it, No one believed her. They said, you're a liar, you're just ambitious, you're trying to steal this man's good name. And she was basically, uh, her career was eviscerated. She winds back in her small town where she grew up in Missouri, uh, called Beloit. And Her brother now manages the small station that she grew up with her parents managing. So she's drinking so hard, she's so depressed, she's so miserable, he can barely keep her employed and after a whole bunch of mishaps, The only job he can employ her as is hosting the late night creature feature. As you can see, she's humiliated. She's like, the makeup, the old bad horror movies, this dumb set, and he's like, look, it sells ads for local car dealerships. The station needs it. The guy who's been doing it for 20 years has disappeared. This guy who's been doing it and is really popular just stopped showing up for work. So he needs someone to fill it. So finally she relents and she does it, and she's a hit. She's such a smart-mouthed, acerbic, you know, quick-witted person that she actually does really well as a horror host. But what she doesn't know is that the guy who she replaced was actually one of the last appointed monster hunters. Monsters are absolutely real, they live in our society, and they've been infiltrating news and media organizations for generations. So they've been pumping fake news and information into our society. So everything you think you know about monsters
2: is a lie. So Jerry's going to
5: have to figure out, A, if she can stop drinking. B, if she does, can she figure out how to handle this new gig. And C, no one will ever believe her. And any time she tells anyone about the fact that monsters are real, they end up getting killed. So she has to protect her secret and learn how to stop monsters with very little resources. In fact, the only resource she has is a senile... Old misogynist who lives in a nursing home who trained the original Count Proud. So her adventure could or could not begin uh, at the end of our comic book here because um, her deciding to do this is going to be a big, big, big choice for her. Right.
0: Uh, how did you get uh, hooked up with your uh, artist, Lucas Kendrick? So when
5: Dark Horse miraculously, graciously agreed to um, give me a shot at this comic book. They liked the idea. They paired me with a really talented editor named Megan Walker.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Megan uh, and I talked a lot about the comic, the way that I wanted it to look and feel. I had a strong um, desire to, to present this comic um, with the feel of like a 1980s, the, the saturation of the colors and the way the lines worked. I also wanted it to feel like more classic EC horror comics mm-hmm. And Megan was like, I think I know the artist for you. And so I had seen the incredible work he had done on Witch Doctor, and Megan introduced me to Lucas Kettner. She then sent him the script that I had written for issue one, and quickly, very quickly, his response was so awesome. He just got it. And he sent a a sketch page of his initial blushes of what he thought Jerry would look like, other elements of the comic and honestly man it's very little has changed since that first image that was one of the great moments of my creative life as a as a storyteller i've i've, I've had so many amazing experiences in my work and that was one of the great great moments uh,
0: uh, of my creative
5: life awesome uh,
0: every every region has you know has their own like late night oh yeah. access horror movie oh, they yeah. kind of called their
5: own uh what do you remember about yours so cremation Mortem, who was ours she had a she had contests all the time trivia contests about tonight's movie um uh, or story contest so she had a ghost story contest around halloween time and the winner would get a uh, signed picture of crematia a rest in peace card a t-shirt and a letter and i would write and write these stories and send them in, and then I'd watch and wait and watch and wait and watch. and Sadly, I never won the contest, but many years later, I've now become friends with Roberta Solomon, who was Cremation Mortem and created that character. I told her that story, and one day, a package arrived in the mail, and I opened it, and it was the prize package from Cremation Mortem. I got the T-shirt, the signed Rest in Peace card, and a personalized note from Cremation And and honestly, she introduced me to one of the things that I love most about acting. She introduced me to characters that uh, on the surface could be terrifying, scary, even appear to be evil. And yet, many of the plots, as you know, when you look back upon some of those films, as you looked underneath what was going on, there there was tragic um, misunderstanding, there was tragic um, pain within a lot of the the, the monsters of uh, uh, of yesterday, and I think that, um, you know, she introduced me to the, the complexity of that kind of work, that even on something as superficial as a, what people would think of as, oh, it's just a monster movie, they were so much more
0: than that. That's awesome. What, uh, what part of the country was this?
5: Kansas City. All right. And then I moved to Chicago and became good friends with, well, became a fan of Sven Gulli, who is here right now promoting his DC comic uh, crossover, and... I'm now friends with him as well, Rich Coase, who plays Rick sven So I've been very lucky that two of the best horror hosts of, in history are friends of mine.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, collect and them And I'm all. excited <laughs> to send
5: them uh, Count Crowley. That's
0: great. Um, do you have a kind of favorite, low, one of those you know low-budget, high-camp horror film from that era? Oh, man. There's so many good ones. Um,
5: the low-budget stuff, I would say William Castle's The Tingler. Okay. Which stars Vincent Price and features a creature that is, for all intents and purposes, a tingler. It's this creepy, gross little slimy thing that slides around. And there's this wonderful scene in the film where the tingler is loose in a the movie theater, and when Castle, being the master of you know, doing all kinds of what he couldn't afford in the budget of the films, he would create great like, PR around by doing um, you know, kind of theater of the absurd at his screening. So. Theaters that showed the film back in the day would put little electric buzzers on their seats, and the theater manager would buzz different seats in the theater at that scene when the the tingler was loose in the theater,
0: and I always loved that one. Um, you, you've done a, a lot of you know franchise genre fiction stuff over the, over the past few years. You know, what is what is your comics origin story?
5: So I, um, I always loved the imagery, and I loved the cartoons, and even the live-action comic book stuff that I could catch or grab as a kid. You know, I always was very drawn to that stuff. And then I bought, my, well, my, my parents bought for me a, uh, an adventures comic book off a spinning rack at a uh, convenience store in Kansas City. And I just, I loved it so much. And I just dove in, and I thought it was one of the neatest things ever. And I wanted to order all the... Silly things out of the back advertising and the whole world around that comic book was so Magnificent for me in my imagination and Eventually spinning racks uh, Can only go so far and then I had to um, seek out and I was lucky to stumble upon Clint's comics in Kansas City Which um, although the store that I went to as a kid is closed the original Clint's is still open in Kansas City And I'll get to go there and buy Count Crowley in a few weeks (laughs) Um, And I just loved the West Coast Avengers, Werewolf by Night, Morbius, Tomb of Dracula. I was a big fan of um, the Defenders, X Men, The Avengers, JLA. I loved Firestorm, Moon Knight's one of my favorite superheroes. Um, and here we are, you know, 30 years later. I've been filling my filling my shelves with comics and toys. It's a great passion. It's
0: great. Uh, so Suicide Squad just started filming. You've got a comic coming out this month. You're here at NYCC doing promotion. I I imagine, you know, as
5: weeks go for you, this is a a fairly busy one. Life is is a very surreal dream right now, and I am just trying my best. On the drive here to New York Comic Con, my wife and I, were we've been running behind for about the last five years. We're always about five minutes behind. It's just, (laughs) with the kids and the movies and the stuff, so we're on our way, and, I, and and we just always try and stop and grab each other's hand and remember to just try and soak it all in and appreciate every little moment of it, because it really is. It's all I ever could have dreamed, and it's coming true.
2: That's great.
0: Um, have you been, have you been to the show before? Have you been to New York no, before? No, it's my first time in New York. Um, apart from, you know, obviously do, you know, doing press, and I imagine some signings too, you know, what, what are you doing while you're here to kind of make, make a little time for you to enjoy it? You know, I
5: don't, I don't, I, I'm going to go out for a nice dinner with my wife tomorrow night. I'm going to hopefully see a friend for a minute tonight, but we're here to promote Count Crowley, and um, then uh, tomorrow I'm going to get a chance to promote a new TV series that I'm working on for Hulu called Reprisal, which I'm insanely proud of. I think it's going to be one of the coolest shows on TV this year. And uh, and so, you know, we get home Sunday to the kids, and then we'll all plop down and we'll uh, get some dinner and... Uh, and then I'll do something, you know, I'll get a k- 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 take a nap. That would be a nice gift to myself. Oh, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> I will sneak on the floor in a little bit. As you can tell, I like yeah. to wear makeup and uh, kind of disappear into the crowd so that I can do my own shopping. So I will be hunting for some um, some, some, some things that I would
2: like to pick up. Awesome. David, thank you so much. Thanks, man.
0: That was awesome. W.A. W- Q- All right. So later in the day, Friday, I'm here with uh, Ed Brisson writing Ghost Rider right now, and it's uh, pretty soon New Mutants, Well I imagine he already started, you just haven't read it yet. <laughs> um, I'll start with the icebreaker question. What are, what are some of the comics that you remember reading when you first got into the medium?
6: Uh, when I first got into comics, I think the first comic I read was uh, uh, Peter Porker, The Spectacular Spider-Ham. Nice. Uh, my, my mom was a big reader, and every weekend she used to bring us to the used bookstore and sit us in front of the 10-cent bin, and so while well, she'd look for books, because she also should be in there for hours. And for so we just buy the ten cent comics. And, uh, Peter Porker was the first one I remember reading when I was must've been eight, maybe pretty young. And uh, from there, it was all like uh, Spider-Man, uh, giant, giant Spider-Man fan growing up, X-Men, and uh, X-Men Punisher, and Captain Canuck. I'm living in Canada, there's a lot of Captain Canuck. <laughs> you know. so those were my first. That was my
0: gateway, gateway comics. Uh, yeah, so you are right New Mutants, which, uh, you know, based on the covers that I've seen, which is you know, obviously the most anybody's seen yet, you know, it looks like you're working with several generations of the next generation of, of X-Men. You know, you got your OG New Mutants like Danny, and and Doug, a couple of your Gen X kids. And then on the cover of issue three, we you see your boy Claude Herman, yeah. and, uh, you know, Maxim and Manon, the twins you created during extermination, uh, you know, what is it specifically that you like working with these, these particular classes of mutants? I like What attracts
6: me to to them is, I I, I grew up with Mutants, right. you know, that was one of my first X-Men comics, and uh, I like this idea of, like, the, the next generation of X-Men, and I think, you know, Mutants were meant to sort of be that, Gen X was meant to be that, and, then, like, you know, Morrison's kids were meant to be that, and uh, I like the idea that we really sort of just are playing around with what really constitutes New Mutants and sort of mixing up the team a little bit. And so the, the plan going forward is the team will evolve and they'll, it'll change. We may have like some core members that stick around, but there'll be members on the fringes that will constantly evolve. And most of that we're going to be pulling from the Gen X kids and from the, the, the Morrison era kids and, and those younger kids. And sort of trying to like, uh, you know, uh, grad, not quite graduate them up, but you know, Push them forward a little bit more. Put them more in the forefront, uh, and, and ha- I, I just like the idea of mixing all of them together into a new team. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so you're, you're also writing Ghost Rider right now. Uh, you're focusing on, on Johnny Blaze as as a King of Hell and Danny Ketch. Uh, you know, uh, Ghost Rider's a character who's had a lot of incarnations over the years, and just in the past few, you know, we've got Mark Reyes, we've got uh, the Ghost Rider of Million BC, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Uh, does having been an X-Men writer the past couple of years make other characters' continuity feel like more of a welcome?
6: So tight, holy. Uh, <laughs> yes and no, because uh, yeah, X-Men continuity is complicated, but Ghost Rider continuity is a little bit of a nightmare sometimes too. Uh, but uh, but no, it's uh, you know it's definitely a lot. Of, I grew up, you know. Uh, Danny Ketch was my Ghost Rider growing up, you know, that book came out, I think I was 14 or 15. And I read that entire 90s run, start to finish when it was coming out. And uh, so Danny Ketch was a big thing for me. So I I had a lot of the continuity already, you know, uh, obviously I'm getting older, so I'm forgetting a lot of it, so I go back and reread But, uh, yeah, a little bit bit easier to untangle than, you know, the 3,000 characters that make up the X-Men.
2: And this isn't necessarily a uh, a uh, Rider question. I just want to put in my pitch for uh, Vengeance the uh, '90s. <laughs> Michael Myers. Michael Baldino.
6: Uh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I might butcher his last name though, but uh, uh, yeah, maybe. say there's a. Uh, he, he's certainly at the back of my mind a lot when I'm
0: writing. Uh, and uh, he's also at the back of all the Comics Presents a lot, <laughs> right?
6: Yeah. But uh, I. I I have an idea involving him, and we'll see
0: whether or not it actually makes it to the page. Delightful. Uh, So it's possible. Okay. Um, You know, the thing that I loved about your recent X-Force run was remember that, you know, while the original series started off as being all giant shoulder pads and guns and guys with top-knot ponytails, you know, it hit its sweet spot when it started paying attention to the characters themselves. Uh, So my favorite scene in, in your run was... This exchange between uh, Warpath and Boomboom, where she catches him reading, uh, I believe it was The Staple Hand Seduction. The Staple Hand Seduction, yeah? Um, which I noticed that Dylan signed
6: by Ed person You know what? I, for some reason, never caught that. And Dylan mentioned <laughs> that to me last night when Kelly asked it.
0: Okay, so, so, so that's not a book we'll be able to read soon from you then. No, but I. <laughs>
6: I do have a low-key plan to introduce more books into the stable Hand series
0: uh, going forward. I am very excited to hear uh, that. <laughs> uh, finally, uh, seeing as you're from uh, Canada, you recently contributed a story to the Flight Al- True North One-Shot, uh, I am dying to know, what do Canadian hockey fans think of Gritty?
6: I don't know, man. I, I'm not a big hockey guy. Ah. But I gotta say, I love Gritty. There's something about Gritty that's just like... Really unnerving, that appeals to me in a, in a great way.
0: Yeah. America was instantly unsettled by him and then somehow, almost as instantly, decided that he was our savior. So yeah, I, I can see him being savior. It is something. But, uh, all right, Ed, thank you so much. All right, man. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to wmq on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at wmqcomics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support wmq and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com/WMQComics. For just a dollar donation, gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazo, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our patrons: uh, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the M Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Hoxpox Talks, and Scott Madrinsky from Mojo'sWork.com. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time.
3: WMQA!